We got time for a few more questions, maybe? When you were looking around the room at the people's hands, were you seeing in the spirit or like physically did you see his hands swelling and dripping oil or was that just something you could see? No, it was physical. I'm, I'm looking for physical side effects. It's not spiritual discernment. It's physical observation. All you gotta do is open your eyes. And anybody can do it. You just gotta open your eyes and look. Because it's real power, folks. And because it's real power, there's often side effects in people's bodies. Just like you stick your finger in the socket, there's gonna be some side effects. And you can see it, and I'm just looking. I'm literally just looking. Now, I have a lot of practice, so I can see it at a very subtle level. You know, I'll see it before anybody else sees it. But with that youth pastor guy, that when they drug out from under the bridge, like, it wasn't subtle. It was like the guy's hands were like double the normal size. Like, they were on fire. They were bright red. Like, you had to be blind not to see it. So, yeah, not, not spiritual. I want to add something, because this is something you need to understand. About, hmm, well, maybe 15 years ago, 12 years ago, I went through a three-year period where for three years I could hear nothing from God. It was silence. I got no words no impressions, no visions, nothing for three years. Utter, complete silence. And I knew this was, um, this was wilderness time. It was the Spirit of God leading me into the wilderness where the only voice I could hear was the voice of the devil. And the question would be, would I be faithful to what I had heard from God before without hearing anything now? Would I be faithful to what I knew from the, was true from the word of God without hearing any, anything now? I, it was a test, and I knew it was a test. I didn't know how long it would last. It lasted three years. But I could still do ministry. And I could still heal the sick. And the reason is because I could still see. <laughs> I could still see the side effects of the spirit moving in people. I couldn't hear anything. I wouldn't get any words for people. I couldn't get any words. But I could still pray for them because I could still see, I could observe with my physical eyes what the Holy Spirit's doing. So... You don't have to have a prophetic gift to do ministry. You don't have to hear from God in that way to do ministry. You just got to open your eyes and lay your hands on people. It's the laying, by the way, it's the laying on of hands. It's not pointing your hands. It's the laying on of hands. Like you got to touch them. Like I'm all the time telling people, like you have to touch them. Like Hovering is not the Bible doctrine. It's not the hovering of hands.
It's the laying on of hands. Like, you got to touch them. I don't know what, what our thing about touching is. Whatever. So, anyway. I don't, oh, the other thing I wanted to just say about that is on the other side, when I came out of the wilderness, there was more power than ever. Okay? So, a lot of you, you're saying, oh, we want more. We want more power, da 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 And I just want you to know, you have to understand, you can't get the full measure of God's power working in your life till you've come to the end of yourself and the end of your own strength. The end of relying on what you can do And the way that he gets you there is by leading you through the wilderness, just like Jesus. And when you read in the Gospels, the Spirit of God comes on Jesus at the River Jordan, and the heavens are opened. And the Lord's voice comes, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. Like it's, in terms of spiritual mountain, it's a hard, to, you know, that's pretty, that's up, that's pretty high up there. And then it says, and then the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's what came next. And in the wilderness, he was, all he heard was the devil. And the devil was saying, well, are you really the son of God? If you're really the Son of God, why aren't you doing this? If you're really the Son of God, why aren't you doing that? Tempting him with, you know, satisfying his own earthly needs or desire for power or control or proving, somehow proving God, you know, put God to the test. You know, never doubt in the darkness what you've heard in the light. When God's spoken to you and he's called you and, you, and, that, and you've had your heavens opened moment, don't doubt later just because it's dark now. You know, this is part of our walk. You're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to walk through the wilderness. But on, after the wilderness, it says, he returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit. You know, first stop wedding at Cana. Let's make a bunch of wine. I like that. Let's throw a party. So, anyway. I forget where we started. What, what was the beginning of that question? I forget. Oh, it was about the hands. Yeah, do we, the spiritual discernment of the hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Shall we keep going? This is going pretty good. More questions? All right, got one over here. Yeah, hang on. Uh, can you talk a little bit about praying for a deliverance for people? How much time do you have? All day. <laughs> we might need all day. Well, let's see. All right, look, 
the fundamental beginning is in James 4, where he says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, one, two, three. It's just that the, the biggest problem is not resist the devil and he will flee. The biggest problem is submit to God. That's, that's what takes the most time. And it's the places where things are not submitted to God that give power to the devil. All right? That's what gives him power, and he gives power over us. Now, to tell you the truth, you know, when I think of deliverance, it's a little bit of a continuum because a lot of times deliverance is almost really just the breaking of what I would call mental strongholds. Like where people are in a kind of bondage because of their lies that they believe about themselves or about God or other people that may or may not involve an actual demon. But of course the demons live off of that kind of thing and so sometimes it does involve an actual demon but not always and it's uh, the, the gradation, it's, it becomes more of a little bit of a gradation and you, you kind of treat them a little bit the same because in the end, the fundamental thing is to bring all the darkness into the light. Whether it's mental only or whether there's a demon involved, it's still the same process. You want to bring the darkness into the light and submit everything to God. Once you do that, you've rendered them powerless because the truth is the demons don't have any power of their own. As Colossians says, they've already been stripped. They're already powerless. So they're parasites, and they feed off of the power they get from us when we believe their lies and so forth. It mostly lies. Sometimes it's power that they get over us through the actions of other people, through the hidden things, the dark things that are not brought into the light. So it might not be exactly a lie, but it's hidden things that have control. So that's where they get power. They have to feed off this. So if you remove those things, submit to God, you render them powerless. And then, of course, Resisting the devil and he will flee is easy. That's downhill. And a lot depends on just how close people are to being ready to give up, to give up the lies and believe the truth and walk in the truth. Sometimes people have to tell the hidden things. So there are some people who come under a need for deliverance because of what's been done to them. But they've never told anybody. They've allowed it to remain hidden. Okay, so they're victims in a sense. Sometimes it's things done to them, but they don't even know it. And particularly where there's been involvement with occult stuff or uh, false religions of various sorts, uh, they may not even know it, but they're under its power because it's a hidden thing of darkness. When it's exposed, it'll be broken. So, it's that kind of a process. A lot of times, people are, you can, 
I do deliverance on lots of people and they don't hardly even know they're getting delivered. And I'm not going to tell them because then that's just going to scare them half to death. That, and now they're going to need more deliverance. And so <laughs> I'm not always going to label it like that. It's sort of like, you know, but sometimes it's unmistakable. Like they, they know something, it's particularly if there's a demon involved and it's inside, it's kind of working. They will often feel it and they'll know. Like they'll tell me like, oh, there's, there's something inside of me. And it's like fighting you. It's speaking against you. It's trying to come. Okay, well, like, okay, all right. Well, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll go after this. I don't know how many demons I've cast out. A lot. Thousands. But we have, here's the thing. The weapons we have been given are more than adequate for overcoming any of the power of the evil one. We have everything we need. We have everything we need. We don't need to be afraid. But we do need to be alert. Because your weapons are only as good as if you use them. Having weapons that are more powerful doesn't do you any good if you don't use them. Right? You got to use them. So we have weapons that are powerful. Stand in the truth. Pray together. Confess your sins one to another. Those kinds of things. Those are our weapons for staying and walking in freedom. But you have to use them. In the early days, when we were traveling and doing ministry trips like this, there would always be somebody on the team who would be attacked by the evil one in their minds. This is where most of the action happens. In your mind, it's all in your head, all right? It's all in your head. And they would start thinking. You kind of go like this. Nobody gets prayed, nobody gets healed when you pray for them. You never should have come on this trip. Why are you even here? They probably don't even like you. Like you you don't want to be with those team people. They're, they're all having a good time. God's healing people through them, but not you. You, sh you shouldn't be here. And you just see them get isolated in the back corner. That's all a lie. It's all lies. So we got to where we said, look, if, if you're going to come with us on a trip, you need to understand that somebody's going to get attacked. And this is how you're going to be attacked. You're going to have all these things going through your head. You should quit. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't do this. It never, it's not going to work for you. Nobody actually wants you. Blah, blah, blah. Demon talk. And we just said, if it starts happening to you, all you have to do is simply this, tell somebody. That's it. Just tell somebody. And they would tell somebody. We'd gather around them. We'd pray for like three minutes and be gone, just like that. It'd be like popping a soap bubble. It was no harder than popping a soap bubble. Just stick your finger in there, boom, it's gone. But you have to tell somebody. That's the thing. That's the weapon. Tell somebody. So, you know, you're making big advances in the kingdom today. Guess what comes next? The enemy's going to try to take your advance back. He's going to try to, next week, 
He's going to try to get in your head and take, take, his, take territory back. Okay, so what do you do when you're struggling in your head? Well, tell somebody. That's why you want to be in this church. That's why you want to be connected. That's why you want to be in a relationship. You tell somebody, they get around you and pray, and it's like popping a soap bubble. Boom, you're free. No big deal. You know, do that a few times, and the devil will decide to expend his resources elsewhere. You know, go after the Presbyterians. They don't know any better. <laughs> or somebody. Maybe they do know better. Who knows? You know, there's not unlimited numbers of demons. Like, that's a limit. It's a finite number. You understand that? It's a finite number. And if it doesn't work with you consistently enough, he'll go and leave you for a time, just like it says with Jesus in the Bible. You know, he goes through the wilderness, and he's tempted by the devil, da, da, da. Then it says the devil left him for a season and went somewhere else because it wasn't, he wasn't getting anywhere. You know, he turns up again back in the Garden of Gethsemane, but not till then, because it wasn't working. Like, you don't let it work out after a while, he'll leave you alone. You know, people always say, oh, the devil comes and chases me in my dreams. I say, not in my dreams, in my dreams, I'm chasing the devil. Guess what? He doesn't come to my dreams much anymore, <laughs> because I'm going to kick his butt. Anyway. Where were we? How do we get there? Uh, oh, praying for deliverance. That's right. All right. Well, that's the beginning. Another hand over there. So you were talking about the deliverance in James 4, 7, how to submit and then resist and then the devil will flee. Oftentimes when I talk with people, especially younger people, and I've experienced it myself in life, when you, in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 6, 18, and it talks about flee, sexual immorality. And so can you kind of differentiate what the resist versus that flee? Can you tell me what he said? Oh. Well, it turns out that the devil's not your only problem. You got a bigger problem. You. <laughs> your own flesh. It's, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And we've got the world around us. That's a problem. And the flesh and the devil. The devil's actually the least of the three, actually. Like, the devil's easy to deal with compared to the other two. Dealing with the world and your own flesh? Ooh, that's a little more challenging. Because to deal with your own flesh, guess what that means? Crucifixion. You gotta die. You gotta run from the desire, that stuff. So that's, that's just all about dealing with the world and the flesh, not, not just the devil. The devil's not your only problem. Did that answer the question? Yeah. 
Why is that? I'll say one more thing. It's very interesting, you know, in a similar kind of way to the way, you know, dealing with the devil, part of it is like being together and praying for each other and confessing our sins and fighting against it. The same is true. Being together is part of our best defense for dealing with both the world and the flesh as well. If you're on your own, like you're just a sitting duck, like you hardly have a chance at all, you know. The world will pull on you, your flesh will go nuts, and then the devil will come along and finish you off. <laughs> um, like, this is why we gotta be together. We have to be together. There's, there's no, no survival of faith outside the church, really, not really. So. Other hand. So sometimes during worship, um, corporate worship, my hands do start shaking. And I've just thought personally that was the Lord loving on me and let me ask him, start asking him questions. Do you have an idea for me what, what else I could be doing during that time? Does it only happen in worship? During ministry time, I might. It happens there too? Yes. During the day at home, here at church, when I'm thinking, connecting with the Lord, that happens. It might be at home alone? Uh, Happened then? I didn't say it again, please. My question is like, do you find that your hands, like the spirit will come in and your hands will shake like when you're home alone? Yeah. When I'm maybe in intercession, thinking about somebody. When you're thinking about somebody. Oh. I think it's intercession. I think it's all intercession. Like, God's like calling, you know, it's sort of like the spirit moving on you to intercede and to pray for people or for the move of the spirit or for the worship or what. It's all intercession, I think. You know, and when that's happening, he's like calling you to intercession. So I'm almost like a, like a light that comes on and says, time to pray. <laughs> you know, time to pray, time to pray, time to pray. Like, I think that's probably all ministry of intercession. And the true ministry of intercession is empowered by the Spirit like that. It's, it's a, almost like a companion gift to the prophetic. It's a kind of a version of the prophetic gift, but it's more oriented towards praying for things rather than speaking messages to people. And we need a lot of intercessors. They're like the front line in the battle. You know, so, yeah, that's, I think that's intercession. Okay, another question. We have got a bunch of hands now. What, what role does repentance play in prophetic words that are given that are either wrong or just unverifiable? I got as far as what role does repentance play. You know, the echo in here is terrible. 
Just what role does repentance play in prophetic words that are either wrong or are just unverifiable? Oh. So he's asking about what he, essentially he's asking what do you do when prophetic words are wrong? And I think the first thing I would say is you have to understand there's true prophetic words are words received from God and shared and there's power in them that has the power to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, to comfort, to heal. And then there's a category of things that we would call non-prophecy, prophecy, which are good thoughts, um, encouraging words, maybe comforting words, but there's no power in them. They're just, they're, they come from our mind. They're human-based. They're fine words, but there's no power. And then there's false prophecy, which is generally unusual, where, where it's demonically inspired and it has power, but it's negative. Doesn't happen very often. Um, but then there's also true prophecy misinterpreted. So there's a true word from God it has power, it's not non-prophecy, and it's not false prophecy, but it can be misinterpreted or misspoken um, in a way that makes it not true, but its origin was actually true. So for example, one of the prophetic people that I used to know told this story on himself, that he saw a man in a meeting with a cloud over his head and dollar signs in the cloud. Okay, that's what he saw. Cloud over this guy's head, dollar signs in the cloud. And so that there's something bad in the financial realm clearly going on when you see something like that. But here's the thing, he jumped to the conclusion that this man had been involved in some kind of financial impropriety because he saw the cloud with the dollars. Well, the guy was, was a businessman with utmost integrity who was very deeply hurt by him saying that word out loud except that two weeks later, the businessman discovered that his longtime bookkeeper had been embezzling money from him. And he realized, oh, that word must have been about the bookkeeper, not about me. Are you following me? So that was a true word from the Lord, a warning to this businessman. But the prophetic guy misunderstood, misinterpreted, in a sense, what he saw. And so he ended up giving something, a word that wasn't true. Are you with me? (sighs) 
So there's like all those different kinds of possibilities. Now, when people give non-prophecy, you know, they, they say stuff and it's nice and it's powerless. I don't like encourage them to like repent. I try to encourage them, keep trying. You know, next time will be better. <laughs> At least for a while. You know, we, we, it, there's got to be room for people to try this thing and to learn and grow. So, you, you know, you, you don't want a heavy hand of, no, you have to get up in front of the church and repent. Like, how are they going to learn if you have to do that? Okay, that so that, 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 that's, for, so for, if it's non-prophecy, it's that. Sometimes, you know, if, particularly if you get some prophetic people helping each other, you can uncover the mistaken words and correct them. And then you just get up and say, like, you know, I, I think we misinterpreted that. I think it actually meant this. And it's a kind of a repentance, but you're not making it a big, heavy deal. It's sort of like, no, we just misinterpreted it. Um, with the false prophecy, the best course is try to never let it be heard. That'll come... Generally, those are going to come through floating prophets who are accountable to nobody and have no local church and have actually a hatred for the church of Jesus. And you should not let them be, you should not let them speak, if at all possible. And I would expel them from the church if I found somebody like that. Rare. Doesn't happen too much. But there's one other category where I think repentance is important. And that is when church leaders, people who should know better, use prophecy to try to bolster their personal opinions or their hot-button causes. That is an abuse of the gift. And for that, we should call for true repentance. It's an abuse of power. And it's wrong, and it's confusing, and hurts the whole church. And we should not tolerate it. Prophecy is not for those things. It's to serve God's people by bringing encouragement and comfort and healing, is what it says. All right? And I'll just say that in the last 10 years, we've had a lot of abuse of that sort. And it's proven to be bad fruit and wrong. And generally, there's been no repentance. And I think that speaks of the character of the people involved. Character counts, folks. Like... Look, leaders are meant to be servants. We're servants. We're servants. Servants of God and servants of the people. And we should never be seduced by the false promises of worldly power.
That's not what we're about. We're not about worldly power. Why are you messing around with worldly power? When we got the kingdom, <laughs> the kingdom of God. You know, there's, when Jesus comes back, there's not going to be any more elections. He's coming back to take over. And every knee is going to bow. And when, by the way, they're going to beat all their swords into plowshares, and that might involve a few guns, too. I don't know. <laughs> he might let a few of them stick around. I'm not quite sure what his attitude will be when that comes, but I, I do think he wants to end violence. <laughs> that seems to be the idea when he comes to take over. Like, we're, we're dealing with that kind of... That's, that's, that's our currency. That's what we're about. We're about the kingdom of God, like... Worldly power? Kingdoms are going to come and kingdoms go. Like, don't put your hope there. All right, now I'm starting to preach, so we'll stop. How are we doing? What time are we supposed to end? Do we have an ending time? Is this going till noon? Is that what we're doing? Does anybody know what's happening here? <laughs> All right, well, go ahead. We got a couple more questions. Wallace deserves to ask a question. Regarding the ministry of angels versus the ministry of Holy Spirit and healing and various other things that we do, um, do you see angels anytime when you're ministering what role do they play? I know we don't want to worship them and focus on them too much, but I, the reason this kind of came to mind because I was up on the top of a mountain in North Carolina this week, and I was just sitting there looking out, and all of a sudden I saw this whole host of little gnats that appeared right before my eyes, like hundreds of them, and then they just disappeared, and then they reappeared and disappeared again, and it's just like the thought came to me that there's you know a heavenly host that we don't see that's around us, and just so I, I just kind of thought, wanted to get your uh, thoughts on all that. I think sometimes, you know, God like gives us a vision of angels, like a vision, like that, like what you describe sounds like a vision. It's like a vision of angels, and it's just simple encouragement, like you're not alone. You know, heavenly hosts are around. You know, we're not alone in this world. That's, that's good. An actual appearance by an angel? The nearly universal testimony of the Bible is absolutely terrifying. If you're not terrified, then you didn't get an actual appearance. Like, you just had a vision. There's sort of like, it's, it's like a safety distance. You know, it, but every time an angel actually appears, the first thing they have to say is don't be afraid because, like, the people are absolutely terrified. So I'm sort of like, there's a lot of people who get visions of angels, and it's encouraging, and that's nice. Listen. In the book of Revelation, you know, Chris, you know, one angel destroyed all the firstborn of Egypt. You know, destroyed an army from 
of the Syrians in a night. They have a lot of power. But in the book of Revelation, it tells us that there's 10,000 times 10,000 angels gathered before the throne of God. Uncountable numbers. And when Jesus, the Son of God, comes in, they all fall down. So, like, I wouldn't be too terribly worried about the angels. And, well, you got the Holy Spirit. It's not even a contest. You got the Holy Spirit. All right? So, and probably you don't want to actually encounter an angel because they come and they're terrifying. And usually they show up because trouble's on the way. Something really bad is coming. <laughs> and you're going to need everything that it takes just to get through it, is what usually that means. So better off not, not to have that. I don't know. Next question. So sometimes the demonic will manifest as like depression, anxiety, you know, physical ailments of some kind, but then sometimes there's just diagnoses of these things. So how do you differentiate and what happens when you take someone through inner healing and deliverance and then they still struggle with depression or they still have pain in their yeah. knee? You know, just because sometimes a demon causes a particular condition doesn't mean that that condition is always caused by a demon. So, for example, one of the Gospels reports there's a woman who's crippled by an evil spirit and Jesus commands the evil spirit to leave and she's healed that way. But yet other people like the man who's paralyzed are healed by Jesus and there's no mention of any demon or deliverance or whatever. So yet there's a distinction like some sometimes demons can cause these things but not but that doesn't mean that they always do. And so then you have to pray for just straight on healing. Well, if, if you're praying for a physical thing and it starts moving around the body, like, you know, I got pain in my shoulder. You know, you're praying for the pain in the shoulder. Oh, now the pain's in my left knee. And then you start praying for the left knee. Oh, now, the, now, now it's in my, another part of my body. When the pain starts moving around like that, that's going to be a pain demon, and it's not physically caused because it's moving around. That's a pretty much of a giveaway. Sometimes prophetic people can see attacking demons on people's bodies, and then that will let you know. But sometimes, you know, like with depression, I think I've seen it both ways. Uh, people who um, 
it was caused by a demon and then the demon left and that was it. And other people who needed healing of their brain or they needed medication to help them. And I said, whatever it takes. Like, whichever it is, because it's not always one way or the other. Just because it's one way this time doesn't mean it's the same way the next time. It could be different things. And what we're looking for is for people's lives to be better, however that gets there. And I'm happy to cast out a demon or pray for healing or have them take medication to get there. It's all the same to me as long as they have a better life at the other end. Because I don't, I'm not trying to defend God. God doesn't need any defending. I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just trying to help people. However we can. Does that make sense? So for me, there's not really a fundamental disconnect between a medical approach. and There's so many times when, you know, medicine can't actually explain everything that happens and then that's where we come in all right let's have one last question and we'll call it one last question all right there's one there's one somebody has to be last Steve, would you talk about the connection between the filling of the Spirit with power and a surrendered heart? Yeah. Well, I just think you have to come to the end of yourself. And all the power is in doing nothing, trying to do nothing but follow what he's doing. Jesus said, I, the son does nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father doing. That's the goal. You want to have more power? It's, that's, the, that's the name of the game. Do nothing of yourself, but only what the father's doing. Or like Paul, it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives through me. Like the goal is to be dead. Dead to yourself. Dead to your self-effort. Dead to your pride. So that Christ can live through you. And everything's about him living through you. That's the goal. And that's the sweet spot. And when you get there, you're unshakable. Unshakable. Nothing can shake you. Because it's not about you. None of it's about you. It's just all him. All him. And the spirit's moving right now on that question. Let's just be still for a minute. Be still. Dial down. I want you to... Did you just... Like there was like this stillness that came just then. Did you feel that? That's what you need to learn to follow. There's, 
That's him. That's, he's so, sometimes he's so powerful in the quiet part. Just be still for a minute. Let's just be still. Be still. Of course, somebody spills their coffee in that moment. <laughs> but the rest of us can be still. You know, so sometimes it's sort of like we dial up and they get so much of us in it, it gets mixed in. And, you know, it's just got to be all him. So some, you know, I talked about going through the wilderness, and I think there are some of you that you recognize, I'm in the wilderness right now. I'm going through something. I'm going through a time where I feel like I'm going through the wilderness. If that's you, stand up. We're going to pray for you tonight. Stand up, wilderness people. I just want to say, like, being in the wilderness is not bad. It's good. It's part of God's grace in our life. It's not easy. But that doesn't mean it's not good. It's a testing time. Stripping time sometimes. But out of that comes new life a new anointing. So everybody that's not standing, turn around and w w pick somebody that's near you that you might go to and pray for. You know, let's gather around them and let's pray for them. Pray for God to be with them, encourage them, strengthen them as they go through this wilderness. If you stood and you and nobody's gotten to you yet, put your hand in the air so we can tell that you're standing and we'll get somebody to you to pray for you. Those of you who are praying, just don't be in too big of a hurry to try to solve everything for them. But if God gives you a word or a picture for them that might be encouraging that, feel free to give that in this moment. <laughs> 